Good morning and welcome to Plum Creek Chapel as we continue our look at what lies ahead. And this morning I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to finish up our discussion of the purposes of Israel and the purposes of the church. We have five of each that we believe, as you look at Scripture, uh, kind of helps us understand the, the distinction between God's plan for Israel and God's plan for the church. And last week we got through all five of the purposes for Israel and three of the five purposes for the church. So we'll knock those out. But then I want to dedicate the rest of the time to talking about current events and uh, have some discussion about uh, the issues over there in Ukraine and Russia and what's happening geopolitically and a lot of stuff in the news. And uh, I get a lot of emails and a lot of uh, discussions and questions from people about that. And so I thought, well, we'll just talk about it. I don't have all the answers, but maybe some of you do. I thought if we were able to solve the conflict, maybe we could send a note to Putin and that would, uh, you know, we would get some credit for that. I don't know. But either way, I'd like to look at it all through the lens of, uh, of Scripture. So a couple of announcements. Don't forget the book, What Lies Ahead, is at the back on the back table there. For those of you here, those books are available uh, for, at no cost. The church uh, purchases those, makes them available. Uh, if you'd like to help reimburse the church for those, you're welcome to put a, uh, some money there in the little uh, basket on the, or I don't even know what you call that, box, I guess, uh, uh, on the table. But those are available for anyone to take and use for your own personal study and edification. Uh, those of you online or live streaming, you can go to notbyworks.org if you want to get uh, the What Lies Ahead uh, book. And then uh, our Tuesday uh, study this week was, uh, or Tuesday podcast on Christian Underground News Network was on Jesus Christ, the nucleus of all hope. And we talked about the distinction between the world's perspective of hope and the biblical perspective and what a difference uh, it is for sure. Uh, so you can check that out. It's uh, available wherever you listen to a podcast. Just search for, search for Not By Works. And then uh, I was hoping uh, Suzanne would be here. I've got a couple of cartoons that I thought would be apropos and given the, the tenseness in the world and all that's, that's flaring up. You know, a lot of people are thinking what's going on could lead to World War III. I think certainly could. A lot of experts are I've been talking about this for many years, people that I've studied and followed. Uh, I do think the next war will be thermonuclear. I think that's their plan. That's the Luciferians' plan anyway, if they have their way. And so, you know, a lot of people are speculating what's really going to cause it. But I think we found the answer uh, of how the world will actually end. And it's not the way you think. Uh, so um, that's, uh, that's how I feel about it. And by the way, here's this, this cat here. Uh, typical cat. I think I should build a bunker. He's a Ukrainian uh, cat over there. But uh, anyway, well, so let's talk about, uh, this will be kind of our final look at the second. Well, we might spend one more week looking at a few more key passages. I do want to go back and do that. We've really only looked in earnest at uh, Revelation 19. And I think there's some other passages that, that deserve some, some focus. But anyway, in the coming weeks, then we will move into our discussion of the new heavens and the new earth, the millennium, the distinction between the millennium and the eternal state. And uh, we're going to sprinkle in a Q&A, although we're going to do some of that today, but we'll do a whole hour dedicated to that uh, here coming up uh, as well. So this has been where our focus is, is on the return of Christ and uh, leading up to the final stages of uh, the end times uh, we, when God makes all things new once again. 
We talked about seven reasons for Christ's second coming. And then uh, we've looked at, uh, just so far, Revelation 19. But you can see here, I'll go ahead and throw them up on the screen. Uh, we won't look at all of these in detail, but I would like to look at the Olivet Discourse passages and uh, maybe some of the others uh, listed there as well. So we contrasted the second coming and the rapture. We saw several different distinctions between them. I'm just kind of going fast here. We've talked about this already. Um, to, that make it clear that the rapture and the second coming are not the same event. And a related subject to the distinction between the rapture and the second coming is the distinction, of course, between the church and Israel. So the rapture is for the church. The second coming is for Israel. And uh, we talked about five purposes for Israel last week. So let's just review those. Uh, number one was to witness to the unity of Yahweh, the Creator, in the midst of universal idolatry and paganism. And so uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Um, God called Israel, His chosen nation, uh, out of Egypt and made them an example to demonstrate that all the polytheistic pagan religions around the world are false and wrong, and there's only one true God, and He eternally exists in three persons. And then uh, the second reason for purpose for Israel was to be an example to the nations of the benefits of serving the Creator. You know, every other religion views their supreme being uh, as some type of... Uh, uh, retributive agent that if you do good you know he automatically uh, you know gives you good things if you do bad he automatically spanks you um, God of course is a God of grace the very uh, fact that he made it possible when we rejected him in the garden and sinned against him for us to be reconciled to him for free uh, through the shed blood of his son and our Savior shows his grace um, but uh, Israel, as, as they served their God and faithfully followed Him, received uh, blessings. That's the whole Deuteronomy 28 to 30, blessings and cursings passages. And so people in the pagan nations surrounding Israel and throughout the world would look at Israel if they were following God's Word and see, wow, it does seem to work. You know, when you do what God says, it goes well. Uh, when you don't, it doesn't. Not that it's all simply uh, judgment. As I said, God is first and foremost a God of grace. But just the fact that God wrote the owner's manual, he sees the pitfalls, he knows where the stumbling blocks are, and he's given us a guidepost in his, um, in his uh, word. In fact, I was reading today, uh, this morning, a passage that caught my eye. What's today? The 6th? Proverbs 6. And it reminded me of Psalm 119, 105. Uh, saw uh, Proverbs 6, see if I can find it. Um, verse 23, the command, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Remember Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so these were written around the same time, but it's an interesting similar analogy. And so, the second reason for Israel was to show the world that uh, God knows what he's doing, and if you follow his way, it goes well. Uh, the third reason was, obviously, to receive and record God's revelation. God revealed himself through the pen of the written word through 
uh, Israel primarily through Jews. By the way, someone Wednesday handed me a drawing that was hilarious, and I was talking to someone, and they, one of the young people over here, and I folded it and put it in my backpack, and then I got home later this week. I, this frequently happens. People give me things on Sundays, and I'm going through my stuff. Oh, yeah, I forgot. But it's a hilarious. It, it's a replication of what I frequently say when I talk about how when the quill hit the sheepskin. Who did that? Oh, that is hilarious. I, I taped it on my uh, uh, filing cabinet. Uh, it, she drew, drew a picture of a porcupine walking past a sheep and the, one of its quills hitting the sheep and the sheep goes, ow! Because so, I talk about when the quill hit the sheepskin, uh, meaning when, the, when God revealed himself through the written word. So anyway, that was very creative, definitely a keeper. Uh, but as far as you kids know, I keep all the stuff you give me. Okay, but that was a keeper, if you know what I mean. All right. Um, number four was to produce the Savior. Uh, Jesus, of course, is the ultimate seed of Abraham, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And then finally, uh, to what we've been talking about in this whole series, to be the center stage in God's global uh, kingdom of peace someday. So uh, is God's not through with Israel. Uh, he's, they've got a geographic kingdom that is rightly theirs. They have the title deed to the land, and someday Christ, the King of Kings, will come back and rule from the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And I was talking to someone else this week, had a, a phone meeting with them and talking about several theological points and talked about how, you know, this theme of the kingdom really goes from Genesis to Revelation. You know, we can get, uh, you know, focused in on certain smaller details related to the end times, but let's not forget the big picture. Uh, it's about a kingdom. And Daniel talks about this, Revelation talks about this, that through the ages, uh, the world has had various world kingdoms. You know, you could go back to Egypt, uh, Syria, uh, uh, Babylon, Persia, uh, Greece, Rome. And then, of course, the Bible teaches that, that the Roman Empire, the last great world empire, will be uh, revived, and that will be the seat of power uh, during the Antichrist's uh, reign in that final seven-year period. So we talked about the connection between Babylon and Rome. Uh, Babylon will be literally rebuilt, the city. That will be the sort of the political geographic center of the Antichrist regime. Rome will be the religious center and the economic center. Who knows? You know, could be uh, Davos, Switzerland uh, with Herr Schwab over there, or it could be uh, New York City if the United States is still around. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, that final Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, will be destroyed, as Daniel talks about in Daniel 2, uh, by the kingdom that will have no end, Christ's kingdom. So we need to keep the kingdom theme of Scripture in mind. Right now, we are not living in that, that uh, kingdom. Let's see if I can... Yeah, here we go. So the, the, those who think that the kingdom is now or that the church is the kingdom or that we're living in the kingdom misunderstand the plain, straightforward teaching of Scripture about God's kingdom program. And that kingdom will not be inaugurated until Christ comes back. If you remember, He comes back, then according to Daniel 12, we have a 75-day interval between His return on the Mount of Olives at the Battle of Armageddon and the... Uh, official commencement uh, of the kingdom 
And um, I just realized I don't have the updated chart here. To, I've updated it and put Battle of Armageddon on there right there at the second coming. So anyway, um, so just keep that kingdom program in mind, and that's one of the purposes of Israel is to be center stage at that point. Um, and then we talked about five purposes for the church, one of which is to call out a people for his name, where we see Simon, I mean, I think this is James actually quoting Simon at the Jerusalem Council, uh, where he says, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And indeed, during this present church age, we bear the name of Christ. That's what Christian means, Christ-like. Um, and we talked about how in the early church, as we're studying in our 10 o'clock hour, the, Christ the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. They began to be associated with the Savior whom they were following. And then, uh, secondly, to showcase the exceeding riches of God's grace and mercy. I've already touched on this, but this is one of the unique purposes of the church. Paul says that in these, the ages to come, this age that we live in now, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. So God's grace is not a new attribute. God is eternal. All of his attributes are eternal. They neither improve or deteriorate or change. Um, so God's just as gracious today as he was ever in the Old Testament times. But what we see today is a picture, a representation of that grace like never before. It's like high definition. Uh, and that is through Calvary and the Jew and Gentile being united together in one body, the church. Uh, we talked about how the purpose of the church is to get Israel's attention, that uh, Israel rejected the Messiah at his first advent, and as they, it, to the extent that the church, you and I, are doing our job, and you know, walking in the Spirit, not after the flesh, and so forth, then that will get Israel's attention and provoke Israel to jealousy so that when Christ comes back, they have an even greater context for understanding uh, the blessings of the Lord, and, uh, and so they will receive their king. Uh, and so, you know, they, when he came the first time, they, they should have recognized who he was. The Old Testament prophets were quite clear, but according to God's plan of the ages and for reasons known only to God, they rejected him. And uh, so God shifted his focus to the church, which was a mystery, something previously unrevealed. A mystery, remember, is new revelation, something not newly decided upon or newly invented by God, but newly ex uh, you know, exposed or revealed, right? So God has his eternal plan of the ages before time began, but he's unveiling it little by little. And you see no hint in the Old Testament of the church. The Old Testament is all about the national promises uh, to Israel. And so one of the purposes of this present age is to be a foretaste or a foreshadowing of the life to come in the kingdom when the kingdom is fully inaugurated. And in that sense, it is, uh, is going to provoke Israel uh, to jealousy. So that, as he says, when, they, when their fullness comes, see, the fullness of Israel hasn't happened yet. You know, there are Jews getting saved today. Paul himself uh, mentions that fact and says, I'm one of them. So there is a remnant according to grace today. People, Jewish people are believing the gospel and getting saved. But this by no means is the final step in God's plan for Israel. The fullness will be when all Israel, as Paul says in Romans 11, 25, and 26, 
is delivered into the kingdom, not just the remnant that is saved today, but the entire nation. Uh, that doesn't mean that every Jew, when Christ comes back, will be saved. They, like every human being, have to believe the gospel personally, have to trust in Christ personally, but, uh, and most will. So it'll be a reversal of what we saw at the first advent. At the first advent, the nation and its leaders as a whole cried, Crucify Him, Crucify Him, and rejected the Savior, the Messiah. There was a remnant, however, that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. The second time, the vast majority will hear and believe the gospel and therefore be regathered into the land at Christ's return. But there will still be a hard-hearted uh, group, a smaller group, that rejects the gospel uh, among Israel. All right, so let's uh, finish up uh, with number four here, and then we'll go into number five. Number four, I love this one. Did you realize, and this is just has so many implications. We could talk about this for hours, That especially in light of the, the subject we've talked about previously here, the spirit of the Antichrist and how one Antichrist, capital A, is coming, but the Apostle John tells us the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work uh, among us. And so that uh, book, by the way, should be out. Uh, it's scheduled to be released March 21st, uh, and that's when we're officially releasing it on the uh, Stand Up for the Truth radio show. But I should have my inventory very possibly by the end of this week. If not, it'll be early the following week. So either next Sunday or the following Sunday, I'll have copies we want to give. Since the church was instrumental in the DVD series, uh, which we've expanded, much expanded into this book, uh, we want to make copies available to you. But I'll have to mail you guys yours. So, um, By the way, we'll talk more about your leaving and how bitter I am about it later. Um, it's a soft move. It's a soft move. <laughs> well... I'm not, I'm not, uh, there's so many ways I could go with that statement right now, but I'm just going to let it go. I am on camera after all. Um, so, but this is really, really profound here. And that is one of the purposes of us, the church today, is to showcase God's wisdom to Satan and his demons. Do you realize, let's go back to the plan of the ages, uh, panoramic view here, that the Bible says things are getting worse and worse over time. Evil men and imposters grow worse and worse, the Bible says. Depravity is a degenerative disease. And as time marches on, 6,000 years of human history so far, not millions, not billions, that's all fake, lying, Darwinian, eugenics-based theory that came around about 400 years ago. The Bible very plainly teaches a young earth view. And throughout 6,000 years, of human history, things have been getting worse and worse, which means that the spiritual battle that first began in the heavenlies when Satan and one-third of the angels rebelled against God and fell to the earth has been ratcheting up more and more. So if you look at where we are in get that plan of the ages, it follows that it's really reaching a climax uh, today. And in fact, according to Scripture, one of the purposes of the present church age is to sort of be an in-your-face to Satan and his demons. Listen to this, going back to Ephesians. To the intent that now, now in the present age, this dispensation of the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to what? 
the principalities and powers in the, the heavenly places. You know, Ephesians has a lot to say about spiritual warfare. Obviously, you get to chapter 6, and it really reminds us that we are involved in a, an unseen battle. But the church today uh, is, is one of its purposes is to show Satan, to show the demons, uh, that God's wisdom is, is more powerful than they are. And that's why he's so angry. That's why he's riding around and trying to just do everything he can, leading up to uh, indwelling the Antichrist and ruling in a reign of horrific terror for seven years, uh, the, that 70th week of Daniel, and then, of course, at the Battle of uh, Armageddon. And so sometimes as I speak and teach over the last uh, 15 years or so especially uh, about the Luciferian conspiracy and uh, my book uh, in 2012 on the great last day's deception exposing Satan's new world order agenda and then of course the Spirit of the Antichrist series that we did and now the first of two volume book series on that. People will say you know why are you giving the devil so much attention and why are you talking about him? We shouldn't be talking about Satan and his demons. Well, I don't know what Bible they're reading, but we absolutely should preach and teach the whole counsel of God, and that's a big part of it. And in fact, it's a major component to this present age is to recognize uh, that Satan is alive and well, and uh, he is uh, watching our every move, and we ought to be praying against the, him in the spiritual realm. We ought to be um, you know, recognizing the presence of demonic influence, and we ought to be doing the very things uh, that he tells us to do in Ephesians 6. In fact, people often miss this. It, it always uh, irks me a little bit when I see, uh, you know, pa uh, posters or uh, handouts or things about spiritual warfare. And for so, and I, by the way, we pass by a, a frequently near our house. A, people have some property, and they always put a little Bible verse out on a sign by their by their driveway, which is really cool. It's just the reference. And for the longest time, it was Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. And I kept having to resist the urge to stop pulling the driveway and say, you need to finish the sentence <laughs> because verse 18 is the final uh, verse. Uh, in, or actually, it's the final verse in the spiritual warfare section, but it's one of Paul's notorious long sentences that goes on to talk about other things in verse 19. But anyway, the point is, in the spiritual warfare passage, it talks about, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, which we all know very well. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, uh, principalities, that, that word arche, heavenly demonic rulers, you know, in the, in the unseen realm, arche, uh, up against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And he says, stand therefore, having, 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 taking, taking, and then he, you know, lists all the armor, but then he says in verse 18, which is the one that people often leave off, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So, you know, 
a big part of prayer is to pray against this spiritual battle. Now, we're not one of these that, you know, feels like every time you uh, turn around, there's someone that's been possessed by a demon, we got to do exorcisms and cast out. We're not going, you know, to the extreme with that. And it's not like, you know, every person that's struggling with some demonic attack is possessed. Believers can't be possessed, in fact. Uh, cats can, but and are, but not believers. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, but we ought to have a very prevalent, prominent recognition and active prayer engagement with this spiritual battle. And that's one of our purposes. We ought to be uh, showing Satan that try as he might, our faith is strong. We will not be defeated. We will not turn back. We will persevere, and in, in, in that way, this present age, just like it is with the kingdom blessings, is a microcosm or a pre, precursor to what things will be like in the tribulation. So it's just as all... Now, we won't be here during the tribulation, the church age, but again, to the extent that Israel is watching us and we're an example to them, then those left behind are going to recognize, man, what was just a small part of this spiritual battle has really bubbled over in this final seven-year period. So remember that that's one of our purposes, that more so than, than back in the Old Testament times, we are engaging, the, or I should say the enemy is engaging us in spiritual uh, battle. And then uh, finally, the fifth purpose for the church is to prepare a body that will help rule the Messianic kingdom. Uh, we see this from several passages of Scripture, but uh, you and I, as we are faithful in little things here and now, will be coming back with Christ to establish the kingdom, and we will rule and reign with Him. And that's the biggest reward at the Bema judgment, that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to be rewarded for our acts of faithfulness done in the body during the church age. The biggest aspect of that reward is going to be positions of service and rulership and leadership in the kingdom uh, someday, which again is also going to be in your face to Satan because the very body that he is now Satan is now trying to destroy you know, by attacking believers and attacking the church and splitting churches and you know, causing governments to oppress churches while he's sitting in prison for a thousand years will be ruling and reigning over this earth with Christ. And so, um, you know, God wins. That's the bottom line. But we see Jesus, for example, saying to the disciples, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And Luke says something similar. Uh, uh, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as My Father bestowed one upon Me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And remember when Christ comes back, when the kingdom starts, it'll begin with a banqueting supper, the, the, the uh, big uh, grandest supper of all time or banquet of all time, the kickoff party to the kingdom. And Jesus early on in his ministry had rebuked the unbelieving leaders in Israel by saying, you know, your faith is so weak. I've not seen such great faith anywhere 
in Israel is what I've seen in this Gentile, talking about the centurion. And then he says, uh, in the kingdom, people will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at this banqueting table. So, um, so that's the context uh, there, future kingdom. And not talking about now. Uh, last time I looked, I don't see any Christians ruling on 12 thrones. Now, a lot of the superstar evangelicals, the same ones that are out there pushing the vaccine and telling every Christian they should get the vaccine, and the fact that it uses you know sliced and diced parts for murdered babies is no different than Christ dying on the cross for you. What's the, what's the problem? You know, those people probably think they're sitting on thrones ruling uh, the church, and but they're not. Uh, they're not. We won't be ruling until Christ comes back. Uh, if you remember the quintessential passage about this is Jesus' discussion with his disciples on the outskirts of Jerusalem uh, the night before he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey for that final fateful week of his life, uh, the triumphal entry. And as they were, I think they were in Bethany, if I remember right, uh, the disciples, recognizing that they were near Jerusalem, that the Passover was about to come, that the Messiah, uh, who they recognized as the Messiah, of course, the disciples did, was about to come in, and they thought the kingdom was going to appear immediately. Luke tells us this in Luke 19.11. So Jesus, to correct their thinking, lets them know that, no, no, it's not going to happen immediately. I'm going to go away for a while, and then I'm going to come back and inaugurate the kingdom. I'm going to go away to receive my kingdom, meaning he's going to ascend to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, the throne in waiting, till God says, okay, go get him. Then he's going to come back and establish that uh, kingdom. But so in Luke 19, Jesus tells the disciples, in the meantime, you need to be busy. You've got a job to do. And it's called the parable of the minas or the parable of delay because he's in indicating there's going to be a delay in the start of the kingdom. And what he tells them is, you know, you know, you've each got one mina, one life to live, if you will, one life of service. And to the extent that you're faithful with that while I'm gone, will determine where I put you in a position of authority in the kingdom someday. And so we see to the one, he says, well done, have authority over, uh, over ten cities. Another key passage is 2 Timothy 2.12 uh, and 13, often misunderstood. Uh, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Now watch the next, it's talking about ruling in the kingdom with him. Watch the next verse, the next sentence. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now people rip that short sentence out of context and say, oh, you're going to go to hell if you deny the Lord. It says nothing about hell, nothing about eternal salvation. It's talking about reigning and in the kingdom. And if we don't if we're not faithful, if we don't endure and instead deny him, then we're not going to be counted worthy to be in a particular position of authority and prominence. But he goes on to remind us that if that's the case, if, that we, if we didn't persevere through great pressures of life or whatever, if we pulled a Peter and denied the Lord, um, then even if we're faithless, though, in that moment, God remains faithful, and he cannot deny himself. So we'll get into heaven, and we'll be in the kingdom, and it'll be a place of eternal bliss and blessing and wonder, but it, we, it's not going to be the same blessing experience for everyone. Some will be in positions of greater prestige and authority than others. 
Uh, but if we endure, we will uh, reign with him. And then, of course, Revelation uh, makes it very clear when Christ comes back. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, talking about during the tribulation, obviously, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So one of the purposes of the church age is to find out who's faithful. It's a proving ground, a testing ground to prepare that body that will rule and reign uh, with Christ. So any questions uh, before we move into, in our last 15 minutes here, kind of a discussion of current events? Any comments or questions about the five purposes uh, for the church? Anybody? All right, is that helpful to kind of keep in mind the distinction between Israel and the church? God's working out his plan, but we, we need to keep it clear, not blur that distinction. The church is not Israel. The church has not replaced Israel, uh, and we have different purposes. And by the way, God's not through with Israel, as we, as we saw. All right, so a lot going on in the world. Let me throw up a map um, that kind of shows uh, the focal point right now. You can see at the top uh, center there, the biggest section in yellow is uh, Russia, and of course, just to the west is Ukraine and in orange. And that little section right below Ukraine is technically still part of Ukraine, but it's Crimea, uh, which Russia has kind of retaken over. But I put this up there to show you, and of course, Israel is in blue. That black arrow there is pointing to Israel. And I put this up there to show uh, the potential biblical significance of what is happening in the world uh, today. So if we were to zoom in on Israel and look at the battle of Gog and Magog, uh, remember uh, uh, Magog is Russia, uh, and then we see uh, other lands, uh, they're described as Persia and Cush and Put and uh, Togarma and Meshul and Tubal, Gomer, but in modern geography that's turkey and libya and sudan and iran uh, and they're all going to come according to ezekiel 38 and 39 against israel in the end times now i believe this happens after the rapture and i believe it's part of the setup for the future uh, antichrist uh, in that in that battle but you can see how easily the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine could explode into something of very biblical proportions. First of all, the very fact that Russia is the headliner should get our attention because we know they're a key player in God's end times prophecy. Turkey, you see there, also mentioned in biblical prophecy, uh, has been in the news a lot. You know, they are technically a NATO nation, but our relationship in America is, with Turkey is somewhat strained right now, to say the, the least. Um, you know, Georgia, you see there right between Turkey and Russia. Uh, Russia already has pretty much uh, conquered them. Uh, and then, you know, then you go right through Syria and you're there. So we don't know whether all of these things that are happening 
uh, are of prophetic significance, but it sure seems like they are, and you'd have to be uh, blind not to at least ask the question. Now, one of the things, and then I'm going to just open the floor. By the way, here's the passage. I just showed you the map, but Ezekiel says, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the leader, from the land of Magog, the, the land, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, Tubal, and prophesy against him. Uh, Persia, Ethiopia, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his troops, the house of Togarma from the far north. So again, these nations, uh, I showed you on the map, but they're all very much in the news uh, today. And I believe that this is a that what's going on in Russia and Ukraine is not about Russia and Ukraine, uh, certainly not about Ukraine. Uh, the devastation and the innocent lives that are being lost uh, in Ukraine is terrible. It's, it breaks your heart, and we should do whatever we can to help those people. But let's not be sucked into the media narrative, Russia bad, Ukraine good. Ukraine is not good. They're one of the most corrupt nations in the world. They're a center for sex trafficking. They're also a center for bioweapons. They have had long, long, long sordid history of evil, and uh, they've gone in and out of uh, Soviet control through the through the years. And don't be buy don't buy in to the mainstream mockingbird narrative that, you know, Zelensky is this innocent, wonderful, godly person, and, you know, he's likable, you know, but, uh, uh, but it's not about what it's about. It very seldom is. And I believe that that is a head fake f to get everyone's attention, to suck us in to a global conflict so that uh, some of the other preparatory things that will need to take place uh, as we see God's setting the stage for the end times, uh, can happen. One of those is Iran. And, of course, Putin and uh, Iran are, are very chummy right now. Uh, Iran, you don't hear much about them right now. You don't hear much about North Korea. You do hear a lot about China because China is a close ally of Russia and would not surprise me in the least if uh, <clears throat> things were to escalate over there in Russia, perhaps Russia uh, bombs a NATO nation, whoever that might be, Hungary, uh, Poland, and that necessitates then U.S. involvement, kind of a Pearl Harbor event. Uh, it could be real, it could be staged, we don't know, it could be a false flag, but in any event, something that escalates this to, like I said, a global conflict, and then once that happens, while all eyes are over there, very similar to World War II, another front opens up, and, and so you end up with two fronts, you know, the Germany and the Japan in World War II, and then here you could have China and Russia. So uh, it's, a t it's a tinderbox right now, for sure. Uh, we don't know what God's timetable is. Remember, I always give that caveat that God is sovereign. We do know what the Luciferians' timetable is. They have telegraphed that for over a century. Now, but they're not omniscient and omnipotent, so they may not get their way. God may say, nope, not yet. We're going to wait another hundred years. Second Peter 3, 9, I want more people to come to faith. Um, or God may say, you know what, enough's enough. And given all of the evil and the, and the utter depths of depravity and evil that we've reached with 
the attacks on gender and life and abortion and I mean just this whole fake gene editing bioinjection that you know takes slaughtered babies and mixes it in and sticks it in your blood I mean that's just uh, you know I, I that's that to me ought to be the tipping point uh, for God but I mean we don't have the mind of God and he's such a gracious God so uh, who's to say but it sure seems like uh, things are moving rapidly uh, but not as rapidly as some think and I want to emphasize that a lot of the doomsdayers you know the the ones that we've talked about in previous series that are out there making profits off of all of this negativity or making it sound like tomorrow things are going to crash I mean they could they could but I believe it's it's they're, they're in it for the long game and I think that the stuff they're doing now is is to prepare the way for something two or three uh, years down the road remember the timetable of the Luciferians in their own words is 2025-ish I watched another video uh, uh, by a guy named Harold Martin uh, who's a world expert in economics and uh, I don't know if he's a believer and he wasn't talking about things from a spiritual perspective but he was interviewed on Dell Bigtree and he talked about how he, based on his algorithms he can guarantee that the United States will cease to exist between 2024 and 2027. Well, that got my attention because that's the same time frame that the Luciferians, the Klaus Schwab's of the world trying to do the Great Reset, have been talking about for decades. Going back, I quoted uh, Alice Bailey and uh, Helena Volovatsky and several other demonically influenced people. This is their day. Why do you think they had Agenda 2021 and Agenda 2030 and these types of things? Because they are absolutely dead set on ushering in a one world system led by Satan. Now again, they've been trying to do this for a long time, but in the last hundred years or so, they've been uh, kind of recognizing that their plan is going to involve the destruction of America because America is standing in their way because of our Christian influence and our freedom and patriotic influence. Uh, and so they've got to bring order out of chaos. They've got to destroy so they can rebuild. You, you notice all the references to build back better, right? You'll own nothing and like it. <laughs> uh, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, uh, they're just re refashioning the whole world around a one world system. Is what's going on over there a part of that? I believe it is. I believe it's a setting of the stage. Um, what do you guys think? I'll, we've got just a few minutes left. I want to hear your thoughts or questions. Yeah. Somewhere that Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has ties with Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Does Zelensky? It's hard to say. Two words with Z's in them, and I know "does" does not have a Z, but it sounds like it has a Z. Does Zelensky uh, have ties to Klaus Schwab and the Economic Forum? I think he was part of the uh, Great Reset for kids or whatever that group's called, the youth trained people, just like Trudeau, you know, you know, Jason Trudeau, uh, Fidel Castro's son over up, up in Canada. Um, they, they all were part of that. All major world leaders today were trained at the economic reform. I can't say for certain, I just don't remember if Zelensky is one, but it wouldn't surprise me. Where's the hundred million? Who is? Zelensky? Zelensky. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily even making it about him. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, he's a good guy. My gut tells me he's a bad guy, but my point is he's irrelevant. He's a pawn in the game, and Putin is a pawn in the game. And they're, they're posturing 
You know, they're now the big thing is, oh, he's crazy, he's nuts, he's unpredictable. I don't, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but that's what they want you to know. That's what they want you to think so that everybody's can is not surprised when what happens next because they've been telling you. The news has been saying, well, he's unpredictable. He bombed this, you know, nuclear reactor and he's bombed this and he might do this and he activated his nukes. Well, why are they saying that? Because if out of nowhere they were to have a nuclear strike somewhere, it would make people really say, wait a minute, this really stinks to high heaven. But it happens now. They just think it's the outgrowth of this conflict. Did you have a comment? Yeah, I think some of the good news for me that's coming out of this is I saw an article yesterday where 100,000 to 200,000 Jewish people are now leaving the Ukraine area and the countries around there going back to Israel. Yeah. And Israel always has their doors open for their people. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're, God is always working out his plan and doing working out his purpose for good, Romans 8.28. So there are a lot of positive things happening. I heard from my friend that uh, has connections over there that, uh, and my friend that was stuck over there did get back, by the way, uh, that the, the people are more open to the gospel now than ever before. Why? Because just like after 9-11, when there's a crisis, people begin to think about mortality and spiritual matters, and they begin to search, and they begin to be more open to answers, right? So yeah, there's a lot of good things happening, but you also, you know, as we listen to the news and watch the news, you learn to kind of anticipate why they're saying what they're saying. Because remember, the news is completely controlled, Fox News and CNN both, and all of it. Um, but when they're talking about, you know, the State Department is telling all Americans to get out of Russia immediately, that was the big headline yesterday. Well, why is that? Well, because, you know, they're throwing us a bone and being nice, if you want to call it that, because they, this is my speculation, I don't have inside information, but they, they know that coming down the pike possibly very soon is going to be the United States involved in a hot global conflict with Russia. And so if they're planning to bomb Russia, they need, they're going to tell us you know, to get out of there. Now, I don't know why we didn't tell the people in Afghanistan to get out of there and get them out, but anyway, who knows? So it's just a way of signaling that, yeah, you know, Russia's going to be involved in this as a, on the receiving end at, at some point soon. That's my view. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying about that, but do you really think that our president could even find a button? Yeah. He needs a cat to help him. Uh, uh, do, do, could our president really find the button? Well, again, he's not our president. He's neither was Trump. They're all puppets. Okay, they don't have the power. Remember, the Luciferian elite pull the strings. So it's not about the president having the nuclear suitcase. It's about the people way up the food chain that are controlling the world. And when they're ready to go hot with this World War III, they have been planning World War III for you know, forever, since World War II. When the United Nations didn't result, and you saw, you've seen all the quotes, I have a bunch of them in my new book uh, that, that coming out of World War II, all the world leaders talking about we will have world government by conquest or consent. We must have world government, all of them. Churchill, de Gaulle, all of the world leaders were talking, Roosevelt. And so, uh, but it didn't materialize. God wasn't ready for it, and they were inept, and it did so... They said, okay, we're going to have to do it another way. The United States 
stood in our way. Let's do it another way. And so they're gonna. They've been talking about World War III. So, um, you know, we've got to stop thinking in terms of, you know, the the right, the left-right paradigm, and recognize that while fundamentally the principles behind right and left matter and they are important, and we align ourselves with biblical principles of conservatism as opposed to satanic principles of liberalism at the end of the day that's not what matters so um, that he's a very useful pawn in the game the same way Trump was very very useful to get that Trump shot out there which he funded he created he put his good buddy Sal uh, uh, Alex Azar in in charge of Health and Human Services, and then he put the guy from Moderna in charge of Warp Speed, and he made sure that conservatives and, and uh, liberals alike would all take roll up their sleeves and take that shot. That was his purpose. That's why they put him in there. Uh, now they're done with him. They got rid of him, and by rigging the election, which Trump clearly won, and now they got their other guy in there. Why do they need him in there? Because he's a complete non-factor. He can't even put two sentences together. He's literally just... Uh, a what did I what have I called it a uh, placeholder? He's just a placeholder. Someone's got to be president. Let's put this guy in there, <laughs> and uh, everybody will be distracted and making fun of him, and he'll give us some good fodder. But meanwhile, we can further advance our agenda because every one of their puppets, going way back, it, when they're in there, uh, still has a modicum of power. You know, Obama butted heads with the new elite. I mean, I'm sorry, him being part of the new elite butted heads with the old elite because there's a lot of conflict among the Luciferian elite. They're not monolithic. They're not all of one mind. Uh, that's part of the definition of Satanism is confusion. God is not the author of confusion. They are. So Obama wielded his power. Well, I'm president. I'll do this, you know. Um, even Reagan, you know. Reagan was an outsider, from not outside politics as a whole, but outside of the Beltway. And they reminded him for very quickly who's in charge. And, and uh, for eight years it was Bush. But anyway, um, you know, they, and then, you know, W was, you know, completely, uh, well, anyway, the, another reason that I think we're heading toward the final stages, the end game, is that oh, oh, uh, Biden is the first truly incompetent, mentally handicapped president. I mean, he couldn't take the bull by the horns if he wanted to, right? All the others, Clinton, he made them mad sometimes for doing some of the things he did, Bush, uh, Obama, Trump, they all had their own mind, they all could do things, some of them good, some of them bad. They need someone who's a placeholder, that's my view. So, uh, one more here, yeah. The way you have the, the capital spelled there, that that's the Russian version. Because I was when you watch the news now, they have a different spelling of Kiev. Yeah. And that's the Ukrainian version. Yeah. It was always version. Kiev, you know, when I remembered it, and I went there one time. Um, and and then I think when it split off after the fall, the alleged fall of the Soviet Union, which never really fell. Uh, then they changed it to Kiev, and they're pronouncing it Kiev instead of Kiev. Yeah. Somebody else. Yeah, back here. You guys. Na yeah, David. Me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought that was. I'm sorry. It's hard from this vantage point. Two quick questions. Is it, in your opinion, safe to travel to Israel? 
Gog and Magog. I know the imminency of the rapture, but could it possibly happen before the rapture? So the two questions, is it safe to travel to Israel this month? I sure wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't travel to Kroger, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm staying close to home because I just don't know. Uh, but that's just my personal preference. I know a lot of people still going over there scheduling Holy Land trips. And, you know, praise God, we, should, we shouldn't necessarily cater, you know, uh, or cower in the face of all this. As far as Gog and Magog, there are a lot of great, uh, very intelligent, uh, scholarly, dispensational theologians who think Gog and Magog could happen before the rapture. Um, I don't, but, you know, that's not something that's not something I'd be dogmatic about. Um, uh, I think the rapture happens first, and then in that gap of time between the rapture and the second coming uh, is when we're going to see, uh, so this little purple gap there before the start of the 70th week is when we're going to see Gog and Magog. we got one more. We're already over time, but this is important stuff. But one more question. I think I saw someone... Didn't I or no? Oh, I'm yeah. I'm just wondering, how does this China-Taiwan play in all this? Yeah, like how does China-Taiwan play in all this? Like I said, my speculation is that uh, it's they're, they're in the early stages of a long-haul plan, that they meaning the Luciferians. And I think as things escalate and all eyes are on Russia, Ukraine, and whatever happens next over there, that's kind of the head fake or the magician. Maybe a better metaphor is the magician who's saying, you know, look over here at what I'm doing and watch this incredible dove. Meanwhile, his other hand's reaching out of his back pocket and pulling out, you know, a flaming sword or whatever it is. And so I think it's very much going to be in play, and uh, we could see China invade Taiwan at, at, any, at any point. But who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, hopefully this kind of gave you some food for thought. Remember not to swallow hook, line, and sinker everything the mainstream media is saying. Try to interpret it. First and foremost, through the lens of biblical truth, but also through the lens of this Luciferian agenda that is is right out there for anybody who takes the time to look at it. All right, well, we'll take a break. Uh, let's start our service at uh, 10.05, so that gives us a 10-minute break, which means our live stream will probably start closer to 10.30. It's when we kick back on the live stream when I get up to, uh, to for the morning message. So thank you, guys. <coughs>